Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. With working from home and trying to stay in touch with friends and family, a million pressing social issues, and an expectation to always be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset. That's when you reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. My moment to chill is watching baseball, especially when the White Sox are on. I like to have a Coors Light beside me. It's a great beer to have watching the games as it's cool and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. And even the mountains on my cans turn blue telling me that it's time to hit reset. Sit back, relax, and hunker down for an evening of White Sox baseball. So when it's time for you to unwind, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Must be 21 years or older to enjoy. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate responsibly. When you rely on the internet for everything, you need speed that can handle anything. And now, Xfinity delivers Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. Check out our amazing offers on internet and learn about the latest breakthrough from Xfinity. Wi-Fi speed faster than a gig. That's more than enough speed to power all your devices and then some. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Gig Wi-Fi requires gig speed and compatible x gateway. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Fastball and a high fly ball into deep left center field. It is gone! it out and the Dodgers win one to nothing in 13. Got it! Oh, what a throw, what a catch and tag. Pops out of the middle, Grandal, and the throw to the player. He's out at home, got him. Nine last season, now Grandal sends one deep left center. He's watching this one fly. It is back, and it is gone. Grandal with a drive, hit back in a deep right field, and it is gone. For Yasmani Grandal, and it's a 6-5 ball game. And Grandal, a drive deep to right field, and that is out of here. A two-run shot for Yasmani Grandal. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to a special emergency Sox Machine Podcast. I'm Josh Nelson, and it's Thursday, November 21st, 2019, a day that hopefully will be looked back on as when the White Sox transitioned from rebuilder to contender. Today, the Chicago White Sox signed catcher Yasmani Grandel to the largest free agent deal in team history. A four-year, $73 million contract was enough to beat the offers from the Milwaukee Brewers and Cincinnati Reds, and Grandel will be donning the black and white on the south side. For those that listened to our previous episode recapping the general manager meetings, we gave our top five free agent targets 
both Jim and I pick Grundell as our number one option. And here's Jim on why Grundell was number one. Uh, number one for me, uh, based on a little bit of your criteria, is Yasmani Grandal. Just because the White Sox can use help behind the plate. They have to guard against James McCann's regression. They need left-handed bat. They need power. They need patience. They need uh, you know guys who can, or at least one guy behind the plate who can help a pitcher out and steal strikes. And one guy does all of that. So I think uh, when you look at who provides the most help for the various White Sox weaknesses, Grandal seems to cover as many of them as one player can. Grandel joined Mack and Perkins on 670 to score, and he was asked on why he picked the White Sox over other teams. From from the start, from the get go, you know, once I met with them, uh, you know, just the, the professionalism, uh, the direction where the program was going, how prepared they were, they just seemed very enthusiastic to just you know be talking to me and, and having the chance uh, <clears throat> to have me on their team. So so yeah, you know, I just I just loved everything they said. Uh, Loved what what the future looks like, um, and and you know that's why we just we just pulled the trigger. How impactful is Grundell signing to the White Sox? What type of production should we expect to see from him in 2020? With this being the first move, should we expect more big moves like this from the White Sox this offseason, or is this the peak acquisition? Well, joining me is the fellow editor of SoxMachine.com, and you've heard him frequently on the White Sox wake-up calls. It's Greg Nix. And hello, Greg. Today was the wake-up call White Sox fans and media were waiting for from this front office. Yeah, definitely. It was uh, a, a kind of a literal wake-up call for me since I live on the West Coast. I, I woke up and literally the first thing I saw, and I think it was the second tweet on Twitter, was the White Sox announcement. And I was like, Everybody must be freaking out about this already, but that was there was no rumors ahead of time. It was just that. Uh, so it was a very nice thing to wake up to. Yeah, Grindel's contract, again, is four years, $73 million. It is $18.25 million per season. He is the highest paid player so far on the White Sox, edging Jose Abreu's $17.8 million qualifying offer that Abreu accepted heading into the 2020 season. Grundell has a full no-trade clause in 2020, which I don't even know why that's needed, but he's got it. Uh, And then there is a partial no-trade clause in 2021 to 2023. If Grundell wins MVP, World Series MVP, Gold Glove, Silver Slugger Awards, and makes the All-Star team, he will receive a $390,000 bonus for each achievement. So Grundell... Definitely has an opportunity to make more than $18.25 million per season with the White Sox with those incentives. Last offseason, Grandel caught a lot of flack for turning down the New York Mets' four-year, $60 million offer, and it said he signed with the Brewers for one year, $18.25 million. I think Grandel won big betting on himself, Greg. Yeah, no question. I, I was thinking about it earlier today. And, uh, you know, over the five years, including last season, he'll end up with uh, around $90 million, $92 million, something like that. So if he had signed the Mets contract uh, for four years and then, you know, signed, say, a a one-year $8 million deal or something like that in the fifth year as a... 34 35 year old free agent catcher yeah he ended up making uh like 20 to 25 million dollars more this way so I, I definitely think he won are you surprised that no other team offered more because you did have five years 75 million dollars as your free agent prediction 
for Yes Money, Grendel, and SoxMachine.com. I had him at three years, $57 million, so I, I am impressed of the four-year $73 million. But are, are you surprised that no other team beat out the White Sox for Grendel? I guess I'm not surprised that nobody paid more for Grandall um, than $73 million just because of what his market looked like last offseason and what we've seen across baseball of the sort of uh, just lack of aggression that we're seeing on the free agent market. Uh, I am surprised that the White Sox won the bidding because the White Sox never win the bidding for anybody. So I, uh, <laughs> I guess I'm surprised that the White Sox gave him the most, but I don't think that the amount that he got is necessarily shocking. Now, looking at Grundell's impact to the White Sox, we're going to start with his bat. Offensively last year, Grundell hit 246 with a 380 on base percentage and slugged 468 with the Milwaukee Brewers. He had a 17.2% walk rate and a 22% strikeout rate. White Sox fans, we have not seen that high a walk rate in a very, very long time. He had 28 home runs last year. That was a career high, and he drove in 77 runs, which is also a career high. And his BABIP, if you're worried about that, was at 279, so he doesn't have a very high BABIP. He, on fan graphs, he was worth 5.2 wins above replacement with a 121 weighted runs created plus. So, yes, Monty Grundell was 21% better than league average offensively. Grundell would have ranked... For the 2019 White Sox, second in war behind Yohan Makata, third in home runs, fourth in RBIs, first in walks. As a matter of fact, he walked 109 times last year. If you combine the walks for Aloy Jimenez, James McCann, Yonder Alonso, and Luis Garcia, they combined to walk 110 times. He would have easily been first in on-base percentage. He would have been fifth on the team in slugging and in weighted runs created plus. He would have been third behind Mancata and Tim Anderson. Grundell is going to be a significant offensive boost to this ball club. But in your early mock lineup, Greg, where do you think it makes the most sense for Grundell to bat in the White Sox lineup? I think I'd probably bat him clean up. Um, I do Mancata, Anderson, in some order at the top, Abreu third, and then Grandel fourth as a lefty in between Abreu and Jimenez, um, which sort of interestingly was a, a place that James McCann ended up hitting a lot last year. And I think kind of the uh, the fascinating thing about adding Grandal is is how well-rounded his value is. And he's sort of a good, not great hitter. Like it wouldn't surprise me if in terms of overall uh, value at the plate. His numbers were similar to McCann's last year. Next year, he's just such a better bet to hit those benchmarks. He's been so much more consistent over the course of his career with a much longer track record of being an above average hitter. So I think they haven't necessarily improved the ceiling of the lineup a ton, but they've definitely improved the floor by a lot. Well, I think the on base percentage boost. I mean, when you're adding a hitter that could walk more than 100 times to this lineup, I think that is where we're going to see the boost where, yeah, he doesn't have a high batting average, but every time you're to look up and watch the White Sox, it's going to seem like Rondell's always on base, right? I mean, he got on base <laughs> at a 380 clip last year. Uh, so 38% of the time, Yasmani Grandel was on base for the Milwaukee Brewers, so hopefully that continues. And as far as his home run mark, he does have four straight seasons of hitting 20-plus home runs in the season. 
Uh, so right now, if he could continue to play a high amount of games, I mean, he's played more than 125 games in the last four years, then I think it's it's realistic to count on Yasmani Grandel to add 20 more home runs to this lineup, which, again, this lineup desperately needs more home runs. And on top of that, you are getting someone that either maybe he could bat second. I know he batted second sometimes with the Milwaukee Brewers to get in front of Christian Yelich and get on base for him. Um, but if he does bat cleanup right now, or if he bats fifth in the lineup, he can help continue rallies either by producing power, which again, for most catchers in Major League Baseball, he's one of the better hitting catchers in all of baseball. But his ability to get on base too, I think it's just going to be very refreshing for White Sox fans to watch Yasmani Grandel, what he adds to the offense. Yeah, I would say, too, you know, if the White Sox were maybe a more creative uh, organization and maybe they'll surprise us because they surprised us here. But I could see uh, Grandall being a great leadoff hitter in the in the vein of Mitch Garver uh, for the Twins, exactly as you're saying, because he draws so many more walks than anybody else on the team uh, at this point anyway. Um, and it, that that's definitely it's hard to overstate what a big difference he's going to make just in terms of on-base percentage purely. But I do like the idea right now of the White Sox don't make any other moves to bat him clean up behind Abreu. Because I don't know who you want to have bat lead off to start the season. But if you have Mikata bat second and Abreu bat third, Grundell fourth, and Aloy Jimenez fifth, I mean, Jimenez will get those opportunities to have guys on base ahead of him. And if he could prove that September wasn't a fluke, and that's going to be the norm for him, then, yeah, that's where the White Sox are going to start doing some damage. I mean, that's kind of where Jermaine Dye batted for the White Sox when they had their run in 2005 and in 2006. Uh, so I like that idea because then you have the two switch hitters batting second and cleanup in the lineup, and you know then they can flip back and over depending on what pitchers come in. Uh, so I, I like that idea right now to have Grundell bat fourth, but, again, this offseason is still new. We'll see if the White Sox add any other bats. We'll talk about that Later in the show, but still focusing on Grundell. So moving over from offense to defense. And this is where the biggest boost or the biggest benefit the White Sox are going to get from Yasmani Grundell is his catch framing. Now, I know there are still some of you who don't believe in a catcher's ability to frame pitches that please bring the robot ump so we can get rid of this skill. But it is a skill. And thanks to StatCast, we're getting even deeper uh, into the weeds on what catchers are doing behind home plate and their sleight of hand to get more strikes for their pitches. So there's a metric called strike rate. Pretty simple. It's the percentage of pitches called a strike that the catcher frames. In 2019, James McCann, 44.7% of the pitches that he actually caught were strikes. Grundell was 51.1%. And then when you look at even a more advanced metric, runs from extra strikes, it converts the strikes frame to run saved, and the math comes out to 0.125 runs for every strike framed. So if you steal 10 strikes in a season, you will save your team a run. In 2019, Yasmani Grundell saved the Brewers pitchers 13 runs. James McCann cost the White Sox pitcher staff 16 runs. So the difference between McCann and Grundell was 29 runs and just pitch framing. That's it. Just framing pitches that get thrown into the zone. On pitches on the outside corner for right-handed hitters, inside for left-handed batters, 
72.4% of the time, those pitches are on that outside corner. Grandel gets a strike. McCann, 63%. Low in the zone at the knees. Grandel, 56.2% of the time frames that as a strike. McCann, 44.2%, a 12% difference. On pitches inside the righties, outside of lefties, Grandel's at 58.4%. McCann's better at this. He's at 65%. And when you talk about the top of the strike zone, where Giolito likes to live and Dylan Seasames for, Grandel framed 51.5% of those pitches as a strike, and James McCann was pretty good at this. He was at 50.5%. But when you look at it, as far as the percentages of strikes called when they're framing pitches, the amount of runs saved and the amount of extra strikes that they're giving to their pitchers or even costing the pitching staff, it's not a contest, Greg. Yasmani Grandel is far superior to James McCann at pitch framing. But there have been some on Twitter suggesting that the White Sox could move James McCann. I don't think that's necessary because I don't want to share Zach Collins' defensive numbers from the few times he caught last year. But how would you split time between Grandel and McCann behind home plate? Um, I think that probably what will end up happening is James McCann will be uh, Lucas Giolito's personal catcher uh, and then play a fair amount against lefties um, with sometimes sprinkled in a DH. But I, I would imagine that Grandal catches at least 110 games. Um, I would say if, if you can get Grandal behind the plate for 100 to 110 games, maybe get him in another 20 games, 30 games at first or DH, and then give the at least the vast majority of the rest of those starts behind the plate to McCann, I think that probably keeps them both healthy and productive um, and plays to their their individual strengths in a way that is is best for the team. Yeah, I tweeted this out. My idea right now is to have James McCann catch Lucas Giolito and Dylan Cease because they have similar personalities. There are some that make a good point that if Grandal could steal more strikes for Dylan Cease, maybe that would be a better pairing because Cease needs all the help that he can get. And I get that. But if you play five games, if Grandel catches three, a DH or plays first uh, for another game, and then James McCann is catching two of those games, so McCann's playing 40% of the season for the White Sox, which is a great reduction in the amount of playing time that he had in 2019. But you can get Yasmani Grandel to 130 games plus in the season. I think you're doing really well for the Chicago White Sox because he's healthy and you've got him being productive for at least 80% of the season, which I think is a good goal for any productive catcher for any American League team, especially when you have the benefit of the DH. Yeah, I think uh, the the they have to look at this as a long-term investment as well, right? It's not just next season. It's four years that they have him for. So it would be um, very unfortunate if they drove him into the ground, especially in a way that, you know, led to a knee injury or led to a back injury or something like that, that would undermine the future value of, of Grandall as a player when the team isn't necessarily hoping for a wild card berth, but is maybe a division favorite. Um, you don't want to look too far ahead, but I think for Rick Renteria, he's got to think about Grandall as a player who's going to be on the team for four years, not just one year. So that's James McCann. What do you think the signing of Grandall means for Zach Collins and Yermin Mercedes? 
Well, I think it means that they have to earn their way onto the team, which is probably a good thing for two guys who have uh, not quite established how they're going to be effective major league players yet. I think you can see the outline in each of them of ways in which they could be um, contributing, but I think... You know, it's certainly better for the White Sox to not be relying on Zach Collins to uh, take even a third or a quarter of the time behind the plate, right? With the way, as you alluded to, with how how he looked there last season, he didn't look like a guy that a playoff team would want back there. And we haven't even seen Mercedes in the majors. So I think probably they both get playing time next year. Maybe one of them, probably Collins, if it was going to be one, breaks camp with the team but I think uh you know obviously we're going to see less of them than we other otherwise would and I think that is probably a good thing for the shape of the White Sox as a whole I wonder if they are trade bait especially Zach Collins because of his pedigree being a former first round pick he is a left-handed power bat if you are a rebuilding team and you want to give him a chance still behind home plate to catch, by all means, do it. But I think if he is your 26th man on the White Sox roster in 2020, Greg, this is a young player that's not going to get a lot of opportunities. He just won't. Yeah, I think the, I mean, sort of the issue I see with that is I don't know what you're going to get back for Zach Collins. I mean, he's a player that clearly has flaws um, that would inhibit his value for any other team, right? So until he proves he can hit at the major league level, he's going to be the same question mark for another organization that he is for the White Sox. And so all you're going to get back for him, unless somebody is really, really into the bat, which it doesn't seem like his reputation around baseball would indicate would be the case. Um, Unless somebody really buys into him, I just don't think you're going to get anything that is a sure bet to help the team. So you might as well keep that depth in place, especially since McCann is a free agent after this year. And theoretically, if he, especially if he has a year, you know, in reduced playing time, even close to as productive as he was in Uh, 2019, he probably wants a starting gig, right? He's probably not coming back, and the White Sox probably aren't spending whatever he wants uh, on a contract. Now, that that is a good point. But if the White Sox are looking to add via trade, I think Zach Collins can be moved. I I agree with you. I don't know if he's going to be front and center or that return is not going to be as great as we would hope. But you never know what other teams think of a player. And, you know, one team I thought of because I made the suggestion in my offseason plan, like Pittsburgh, if the Pirates are going to rebuild and they want to move Starling Marte or Gregory Polanco, could Zach Collins plus a couple other pieces be enough to obtain one of those types of players? That's that's kind of what my thinking is because the benefit to the team like a Pirates is that, there you go, Zach Collins can catch half the games for you. Uh, and you can insert him into the lineup. And because you're rebuilding, you can deal with the growing pains. But hey, if he gets a little better defensively, but he hits 25 home runs for you because he has that type of power, he's a cheap solution at catcher for a team that is looking to either shed payroll. Uh, the Pirates always seem to be shedding payroll. Uh, but maybe a team that's rebuilding. That's kind of what my thought process was, is that if the White Sox wanted to take advantage of another team, wanted to go into a rebuild mode, that they could use Zach Collins to leverage him as a trade chip. But on the other end, Greg, 
Zach Collins and Yasmani Grandel have been working together down in Miami for years. I think since Zach Collins was 16 or 17 years old, uh, they've been working together during the offseason. So there is a relationship here. So maybe that's another idea or angle of this signing for the White Sox is that maybe Yasmani Grandel could help Zach Collins develop into a better catcher. It'd be nice. Uh, I think in... In my mind, just from what we saw from him this past year and sort of what we've been hearing about him for years, I just don't know that he'll ever necessarily be a good enough catcher to be an everyday catcher. Um, so I kind of think probably the the way to extract maximum value or actu- at least maximum potential out of him right now is to keep him around, keep him as sort of a third catcher, uh, DH, corner bat, type guy and hope he can eventually be a Ryan Dumit type guy or or on the hmm. uh, sort of extreme end of the spectrum, a Mike Napoli kind of a guy, right, who can maybe catch 60 games a year, play DH 80 games a year, and hit enough to justify uh, that split. So for the front office, signing Grundell is huge for the ball club. And I do think this is a big win for Rick Hahn. He told reporters today that they met with Grandel during the GM meetings. A couple days later, Grandel requested video of the White Sox pitching staff. So good sign. He's interested and he wants to learn more. And then late Tuesday night, Wednesday, Grandel decided to sign with the White Sox. So a very, very quick transaction to go from GM meetings. The very next week, you get a contract done. They got ahead of the market, and Rick Hahn gets to put another feather in his cap for netting the largest free agent deal in White Sox history. Again, eclipsing signing Jose Abreu to $68 million over six years. His work is obviously not done this offseason because he's made it clear that they need two starting pitchers, a right fielder, and some type of solution at DH. Do you think that signing Grandel gives you more confidence in Rick Hahn and let's just say the front office abilities, because we don't know how involved Kenny Williams is at the moment, to make another big splash this offseason. Yeah, absolutely. I think that this was exactly the move they needed to make to get um, at least sort of the blogosphere-level fans on their side. I mean, this is the my favorite move that they've made at least since they signed Adam Dunn, which obviously is not a great precursor. I'll say, <laughs> say that we hope it works out better than Adam Dunn, but at the time Dunn was an all-star. They had a gaping hole at DH. Uh, they invested big on the free agent market. And that's how I feel now. They didn't give up anything of significance to acquire Grandall. They didn't overpay for him. They gave him a completely reasonable contract. He was probably the fourth or fifth bets best free agent on the market. I mean, aside from signing uh, Garrett Cole, I don't think there's any bigger upgrade to the roster that they could have made in one single player. So the fact that they made that judgment, they executed on that judgment, and they pounced quickly, it's it's sort of the polar opposite of the Manny Machado saga from last season. And to get a player who is three quarters, 80%, whatever you want to call it, of Manny Machado for this price at this time with this decisiveness is about the most encouraging thing that the front office could do and and I think buys them a lot of goodwill for the rest of the offseason. The thing against the White Sox, and this has been mentioned by national reporters, is that they are one of the few teams to never extend 
a or sign a player. They've yet to sign a player to a hundred million or more. They've yet to do the the nine figure deal. And with the way that free agency is the last few years, and even in this off season, Greg, I don't think it's necessary that they sign someone to nine figures. That they can live in this mid tier. And though, even though Yasmani Grandel is one of the better players available, nobody was thinking it was going to take like a five, six year, hundred million plus type of deal to sign Grandel. But you still have other players available in this offseason. It's a little bit more active than last year to start, as Will Smith has signed, and now you got Grandel signing. So maybe you'll be a little bit more active. But there are other free agent targets as well that would be significant boost to the Chicago White Sox roster to 2020. But they're going to live in this four to five year, 50 plus million dollar type of deals. And during Rick Hahn's tenure, uh, that hasn't happened. It, there haven't been a lot of these deals. It's David Robertson. It's Jose Abreu. And now it's Yasmani Grandel. So this is the third of the larger deals that Rick Hahn has signed. And if you believe in the old age wisdom of you either win or you learn, there's no losing. When you don't succeed, you just learn from your mistakes so you can win in the future. If one of the lessons that Rick Hahn learned when it did fail for his offseason plans back in 2015 and 2016 is to try to avoid these one-year, two-year stopgap solutions, hoping that they have a breakout year, trying to maybe have the thinking, Greg, of, well, they're in their contract year. They're, they're, they don't have a deal next year, so maybe they'll play at their best. And that really hasn't worked out as well, as well. Uh, as Jim has pointed out on SoxMachine.com, it's like $188 million for negative war. If they start avoiding that and they sign more deals like they did with Yasmane Grandel uh, to other free agent targets, I I think that is a good sign that change has finally come for the Chicago White Sox. And even though they're not still breaking the $100 million barrier, this is an area of free agency that I think they can live in and be successful because we've seen it work both in Milwaukee and in Minnesota. Yeah, I agree with you. I think... You know, in in my heart of hearts, I'm still hoping that they go after Garrett Cole in a real way. I, I don't know that that <laughs> yeah. is particularly likely to happen. But, you know, they, in spite of signing Grandal and as positive as as this move is, you know, there's nothing keeping them from doing that. And I think that's been the frustration with the White Sox, certainly last offseason, but kind of coming into this offseason is that there's nothing keeping them from being sort of uh, heavy hitters except themselves, right? And so I think in one sense, like, yes, you are correct that he can probably, the the organization and Rick Kahn can come out of this offseason calling it a successful offseason um, without giving a $100 million contract. Like even, say, Zach Wheeler, uh, who they've been rumored to be attached to and is sort of an upper tier free agent, like probably won't get a hundred million, maybe he gets 90 million, uh, something like that. But you know, an off season, which they sign Yasmani Grandal and Zach Wheeler is not as good an off season as one in which they sign Yasmani Grandal and Garrett Cole. They're just, Garrett Cole is a much better player and that's why he's getting a much bigger contract. So I, I sort of still think until the White Sox give out a $100 million contract, I will uh, s- s- squint my eyes at 
Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn for being cheap, but at the same time, you're absolutely right that there are guys available who can help the team a lot who will not cost that much. Do you think Grundell is a big enough draw now to convince other free agents to seriously consider signing with the White Sox this offseason? Not really. I don't think so. I mean, it doesn't hurt, but I don't think anybody who was not interested in the White Sox previously is going to be interested in them now. I also think just in general terms that um, money talks a lot louder than anything else when it comes to free agent negotiations and players generally go to the place that offers them the most money, as we saw last year with Machado. Um, his personal connections did not help, let's say, uh, very kindly. <laughs> that, that That's the worst that it was. It, they didn't help. Um, so I don't, I don't think that he's... You know, I think it'd be probably a little bit different if they signed Cole or Strasburg and then some of these mid-tier free agents might, uh, their ears might perk a little bit more when the White Sox come calling, but I don't think he hurts, certainly. So what's next for the Chicago White Sox? Well, Greg mentioned him. Zach Wheeler could be a possibility. John Morosi on Wednesday for MLB Network reported that the Chicago White Sox along with the Los Angeles Angels, San Diego Padres, and Minnesota Twins, were heavily pursuing New York Mets starting pitcher Zach Wheeler. After Grundell signed, Andy Martino of Sportsnet New York confirmed that report that the White Sox have serious interest in Wheeler from Major League Baseball sources. Greg, we heard zero rumors about the White Sox pursuit of Grundell. As a matter of fact, everyone received their press release at the same time announcing the signing. This is a lot of smoke surrounding Wheeler and the White Sox in November. Do you think this is the next move that Han makes? I hope so. I think, uh, like I said, I, I think Wheeler is a really good pitcher, and I would love to see him on the White Sox. Again, I'd prefer Garrett Cole, but that's not a slight on Wheeler because I'd prefer Garrett Cole to any pitcher in the majors probably. Um, but hard to say whether it'll be the next one. I mean, I, I feel like for a long time the White Sox have had this extremely averse reaction to rumors getting out there where they sort of like run away or shut down from them. So like, I wouldn't expect it to stop a pursuit of Zach Wheeler, but I imagine that they are – at least somewhat irritated that this is coming out. They prefer to operate in the way that they operated with Grandall. So I wonder maybe if, uh, you know, they have something else that they focus on first or that uh, Wheeler wants to take a little bit longer to gauge the market and see what Cole gets or see what Strasburg gets. Maybe one of the teams that loses out on those guys gets a little desperate. So I could see it being the next the next move because he seems like a realistic possibility for the team, but I, I can't, you know, I have no idea whether that means that it will be the next domino to fall. Somebody has to set the market though, because there are, there, there's quite a few good starting pitchers available in free agency this off season. Somebody has to set the market, and I do not think it's going to be Garrett Cole, Greg. I, I, I'd i be shocked if Garrett Cole signs before February. I think that is going to draw out for a really long time, very much like how Boris <laughs> kind of drawn out the process for Bryce Harper last year. I think Garrett Cole will be one of the last pitchers to sign to see what everybody else signed 
So that way, Boris can compare Cole to those pitchers on those new deals and say, this is why Garrett Cole deserves X. So if somebody needs to set the market, I feel like Zach Wheeler is that good of a starting pitcher to set the market for everybody else because I do think he is the leader in the mid-tier group. And that's why I asked you if you thought Yasmani Grandel would be someone that would attract a starting pitcher because now with Grandel on the roster, does that make negotiating for the White Sox uh, a better pursuit of getting Wheeler if Wheeler is really interested in being able to work with a really good pitch framer like Grandel that could help steal more strikes when he's on the mound? Uh, Obviously, time will tell, but... In our free agent predictions on SoxMachine.com, you did have Wheeler signing with the White Sox, Greg, to a five-year, $95 million deal, which would shatter the free agent record again. Uh, But if the White Sox don't land Wheeler, because the Yankees are very interested in him as well, uh, but again, there's the Padres, the Angels are starving for starting pitching as well, as they're going to try to build a winning team around Mike Trout. And of course, there are the division rival Minnesota Twins, which they have like two or three spots open in their starting rotation as they try to defend their American League Central Division title. What do you think would be the White Sox next move if it's not Zach Wheeler? I'd say probably uh, an outfielder, probably Ozuno or Castellanos uh, seem like realistic targets there and so probably Wheeler is at the top of their list in terms of guys they think they can actually get so if they if they miss out on him maybe they turn away from the starting pitching market for a minute and sort of let that develop a little bit more and and kind of see once things shake out a little bit who's available and and whether that's Keuchel or Bumgarner or Ryu uh, kind of I think all of those players come with strong pros and strong cons, let's say. So maybe they, rather than picking their favorite of those three, they see, uh, they wait a little bit and see kind of who's left out there. Well, this is a very exciting start to the off season. And now we wait again to see what the next move will be as the winter meetings start on December 9th in San Diego. Maybe the market will be very active compared to the previous two years during the winter meetings, which very little happened. But for more reaction to the Asmani Grandel signing and other White Sox rumors, make sure to visit SoxMachine.com daily and follow us on Twitter at SoxMachine. But that will do it for this emergency podcast. Great to have very happy news to discuss, Greg. It's, it's great to be able to talk about I still can't believe it. Maybe I'm, I am suffering from a heart attack and I'll just go into a stroke here. <laughs> I hope not. We need you. We have good things to talk about for the White Sox. Finally, you can't, you can't have hosted a podcast for the White Sox being bad for years and years and years. And then when good things happen, just cut out, Josh, you can't do it. Yes. Monty Grandel's on the Chicago White Sox. That's crazy. It's hard to believe. It's awesome. I'm so excited. Oh, very exciting. But yeah, uh, in the famous words of Hawk Harrelson, don't stop now, boys. There's a lot more work to be done mm-hmm. for the Chicago White Sox front office. But Greg, as always, terrific job filling in for Jim. Thank you so much for hopping on the emergency podcast. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. You can follow Greg on Twitter. He's at Greg Nix Human. And of course, read all of his 
works as well on SoxMachine.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. If any other breaking news happens, we'll have an emergency podcast for it. But if not, our next podcast will be in mid-December as we recap all of the activity at the winter meetings. So make sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and audioboom.com slash Sox Machine. The Sox Machine Podcast is a production of SoxMachine.com, your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Greg Nix, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.